Welcome to the Mom Docs Podcast. We are three chiropractors on a mission to empower moms and dads to intentionally choose health for their kids and families, to provide core principles to raise their families holistically, and to help parents take an active role in their family's health. Our goal is to provide families a philosophical approach to healthcare that steps away from the conventional and supports true health. Welcome back to another episode of The Mom Docs. Today, we're gonna be spending some time together chatting about something that every parent um, will inevitably encounter and have to deal with with their children. Um, We've all probably spent many rounds and many evenings dealing with this with our little ones. Um, Most adults, you've experienced it, and at some point, once a year, once every couple of years, you experience it. So we thought it would be worthwhile to spend a full episode talking about the topic of fevers. There's a lot to consider when it comes to fevers. What we want to do is make sure that we are consistent with our approach to the way that we honor the natural healing mechanisms of the body and the way that we philosophically approach if a child or an adult is having a fever. But we want to make sure that we're sensitive to the fact that you as your as uh, the parent or as the mom or dad, you know your child and you know when there's moments where, hey, the, my child's gone from not feeling very well and seeming to have a virus or a ba- or bacterial infection, they're just kind of lethargic and feverish. And then moments where it's like, hey, this is the time that we may need to intervene. Um, and there's a time and place for that. And um, you know, Dr. Aaron has had some personal experience with reaching that line and having to step in and um, use some medical expertise there. So, so we're going to talk about how we've encountered fevers. But really, as we start, I want to go through just some basic facts about what a fever is, what the um, purpose of it is physiologically, then we want to cover sort of what we're taught to think about it through convention and three myths that we see um, many parents, especially first-time parents, um, it can be a scary thing to go through no matter how strong your philosophy is. So we want to go through some three common misconceptions that we found with fever and then give you our personal experiences on how we've dealt with fever with our children in the past, either mistakes that we've made or things that we found to be really helpful. So um, as a basic definition of fever is, and it can, it's defined, you know, kind of differently or considered differently for different age groups. But by the most basic definition is that a fever is an elevated body temperature. So no rocket science here. It, there's a, a lot of physiology behind it, but it's mediated by the hypothalamus um, and hypothalamic pathways in the central nervous system. Um, basically what happens is your cells respond to a foreign invasion they uh, release chemicals. Those chemicals go up to an area of your brain and it tells that part of your brain, hey, there's a foreign invader here. And if we could elevate the temperature, the internal temperature of the body high enough, it will kill off that foreign invader, either the virus or the bacteria. So ultimately the body is responding appropriately and doing the right thing by elevating the body temperature. It's, it's working to save your life, to stop that infection from getting any further than it needs to. So there's a real normal, adaptive, healthy response that when we have a fever, we need to really work hard to honor. And I get it as a parent, you don't want to see your child suffering and struggling and not comfortable. And we've talked about that many times on this show, Um, but really it's important to understand that a fever is a good thing. 
and really working to ingrain that mindset into our children and into ourselves that this is the body doing the right thing at the right time to heal. This isn't a sick response. This is a healthy response. And in fact, we'd be in a lot of trouble if we didn't have a fever. Do you guys have some thoughts on just sort of the basic facts of fever? Yeah, I think right away, you know, um, just with a fever, an, an, it's another layer of, okay, we have a symptom and we're often so trained to think like a symptom, you know, immediately our reaction is something's wrong. Something's bad. Something isn't going like it should be. And I think this really just gets back to the overarching theme that, that we have on here is, you know, your body is designed and it's created amazingly, you know, like your, your body is designed to function and heal. And there's specific processes that are happening within you that we aren't aware of on the outside. So all we see is the symptom when what's happening internally is for a reason. And it's getting back to that trust in our bodies that your innate intelligence within you, it knows what to do. It knows when to do it and focusing more of our trust into your body's doing the exact thing that it needs to do right now to heal you, to help keep you well. So, and, and totally. And I think we can have confidence and faith that our body is doing the right thing at the right time. I do want to say that there is a, a bit of a difference when we're talking about a fever in a newborn, like zero to three months, that really is a time where you want to make sure you're consulting a trusted healthcare provider. Um, when infants are so young, they're their immune system is so immature and there's a, there, it's rare that they could be dealing with something that, but in that age group, it can be, it can progress very quickly. So in that zero to three month, to me, that's a window where it's like, make sure you are calling and you're, you're not just sitting alone at night trying to figure this thing out on your own. Call a trusted healthcare provider, one that aligns with your philosophy and just get a second set of eyes on that child. But really once you get into that three to six months to that and beyond, you know, into that, you know, toddler years, that's when you can have tons of confidence. Hey, the body's doing the right thing. As long as my child is alert, responding, still peeing, because uh, dehydration, in my opinion, is really one of the biggest or only concerns um, with fever is making sure that they're staying hydrated. As long as that's happening, I'm fully able to sit back, rest and relax and let, let, the, let their little body do what it needs to do. Yeah. And I think the tendency as a parent is like, I need to help my child. I need to save my child. Like I need to do something, you know, I feel like that's like our just natural reaction to anytime we see our child suffering. Um, or, you know, we look at a fever as them suffering, which actually it's actually the body doing a really, really good thing as you guys have both touched on. Um, and so my biggest struggle now having four kids has always been, if I see my child sick, I want to just do something. And really, Sarah, what you just said is, you know, make sure they're hydrated and then trust and then watch them, you know, monitor them, but then just sit back and trust that their body knows what it's doing. And that's so hard to do, especially for like new parents. Um, so we're going to touch on that as well during this episode. Well, and it is hard to do because we are at least, I think all three of us grew up under a conventional healthcare model. So we're taught you know, when you have a symptom, take something or do something to relieve the symptom. So even the three of us with our 
lots of clinical experience and lots of real life parenting experience, we still have some old, you know, doctrine that's deep, deep down in there that makes us feel like, oh, something's wrong and I need to do something about it. So this is as much for us as it is for all of our listeners. But I do want to um, help you understand sort of the difference in, in uh, temperatures. So a fever is really defined not until you get to 100.4 degrees for most children. So a 99 degree fever is really not a fever. Clinically, it's defined as 100.4 or higher. I also want to help you understand that the higher a fever gets, typically it just means it's a more, uh, more aggressive infection that it's trying to fight. So most fevers stay 102 degrees or lower, and they're usually just dealing with sim simple, you know, simple or common viral infections. And these are necessary things for our children to encounter to develop their immune systems. We cannot isolate our children. We cannot over sanitize our children. Their immune system needs to develop its muscle. So most fevers you'll see in kids, they might get to 102 degrees, but most don't really go over that. And it's typically that they're just encountering common viral infections. When it goes 102 degrees or above, again, still it's very normal and very safe for that fever to continue riding up. But typically you're looking at more of a bacterial infection, which again, same thing that's fine. The body knows it resets its, its uh, temperature to resets its set point from, you know, um, it's normal to, oh, I'm going to reset my set point to 103 to kill off this virus or this bacteria as quickly as possible before it can cause more harm. So really understanding those that, you know, when it gets to that 102, 103, hey, we're probably just dealing with more of a bacterial issue here, you issue here and, and that's perfectly fine. Um, conventionally, it's, you know, just to make sure that we're addressing what conventional medicine would say, typically they say Tylenol under six months, Motrin or ibuprofen over six months. We stand firm on the philosophy that that fever has a function. And if you do not need to interfere with it, don't. If you don't need to do something to lower it, if the child is alert and obviously not comfortable, but if they're alert and they're hydrated, uh, we, my best advice is to let that thing run. And really most medical doctors would give that same advice. Yes. And this is something that, you know, all of us have helped patients walk through like in our clinics over the years is, you know, once you get to that 102 plus fever, that's when I can see parents, you know, start to be like, oh my gosh, you know, once it gets to that point, they're like, okay, my kid has a fever. Once it gets to be much higher than that, that is when naturally I feel like we see a lot of people start to get really worried. And I feel like this is, it's really a tipping point as you're saying, that's when often parents who even are like, okay, I want to, you know, raise my child in this holistic model, let the body do what it's designed to do. That's when parents start to get weary. And, you know, oftentimes then that's when, you know, different parents will set different, like once it gets to this, this level, then I'm going to give them aspirin or then I'm going to give them something to bring it down. And one point that I want to speak to there is, you know, when, when we do give those medications and it brings the fever down, you know, it also, it's, it's working directly against what the body's trying to do. Right. You know, as the fever gets higher and then the fever is going to break, right. And the fever breaks in the evening or in the middle of the night, often that then all of a sudden they're good, you know, the next day. And I see so many parents then reach for that aspirin right as that fever is about to break because that's when it's getting to its highest. 
And oftentimes then you'll see the fever will come down because of the aspirin, but then it ends up taking that child's body longer to fight off, you know, what it's, what it's dealing with in that moment. So oftentimes what we're doing to help them long-term can end up really actually making that, um, you know, that battle last longer, which again, can be hard for us as parents to see. So um, like you said earlier, having that trusted healthcare professional that has that same philosophy that you do that can guide you through that, I think is really important. And oftentimes it's just that reassurance to parents that, hey, their body's doing what it's designed to do. And often it's a higher fear that means that their body's about to get rid of this thing and that higher temperature is needed to um, really get rid of that bacterial infection and kill off the stuff that's in there that needs needs to happen. And so I think it's, sorry, I think it's important too on that note is, kids that um, end up, you know, progressing to something that's, you know, more serious, it's not the fever that's hurting them or the fever that we're concerned about. It's their body's gone septic. So they're dealing with sepsis where they're, you know, the, the infection has really taken hold. And we typically don't see that for at least a few days. Um, if a fever is not going down, you know, after a few days, like that's, that's where the problems start to typically set in. So like trying to lower the fever before that point can actually be really detrimental to, you know, the, the body's ability to heal. Okay. So we've touched on almost all of these already, but I do want to follow some organization for people listening that like flows and outlines. So let's go through just three basic things that we are generally taught to believe about fevers. And if you're already in the holistic world and mindset, this is like, yep, I already got that. But perhaps this would be something that would be great for you to share with a friend and they could really connect to, you know, having one of these thoughts about fevers in their, in their child. So um, the three things are, um, we're typically taught to think that a fever is a sign that something is wrong with our child. We're also taught to think that um, we need to lower that fever to keep our child comfortable. And that's the right thing to do. And then the third thing that we're taught is that we need to keep that fever down to prevent um, seizures, febrile seizures, or future brain damage. And those are three things that I have found clinically that many parents struggle with. And um, I want to just walk through each of those briefly. So let's start with the first one that, and I, either Dr. Aaron or Dr. Natalie, I just reiterate your thoughts here on debunking this theory or this thought process that a fever is a sign that something is wrong with my child. Right. So we know that, you know, there are many times when the body is doing something that um, might not necessarily feel good, but it's actually something that is very necessary. So one example that I always like to share with patients is, you know, if you ate food that had a bad bacteria in it, and you start throwing up or having diarrhea, you know, we start viewing those symptoms as something that's wrong, that's hurting us, when actually you absolutely want your body to be doing those things to get rid of that, whatever that is. So that's an example of the body doing something very right, but we're actually feeling, you know, pretty horrible in the middle of it. But once we get through that, you know, we're able to heal and, and get back to baseline. Same exact thing for fever. You know, if we don't have a fever, um, that can allow infection to take hold and set in and um, really wreak havoc on the body. So it's really hard to remember that, you know, when you're in the thick things and you're looking at your two-year-old and they're, you're fussy, you know, they're 
clearly uncomfortable and, you know, we're watching that temperature, you know, slowly go up, that can be very, very hard um, to, to, you know, even for parents that don't have like the, the background that we do. Um, and even for me as a chiropractor and somebody who, you know, is teaching this to patients, it is hard for me to see my children going through that. But then I have to just go back to that place of this is absolutely necessary. This is their body doing the exact right thing right now. And I just need to let it happen. So I think an important takeaway there would be making sure that we acknowledge that it does feel like there's something wrong, you know, and it is an indication like they are dealing with, you know, an invader and that sucks. And I, and so we can acknowledge that, but then I also think that we need to create language for ourselves and for our children to, and, you know, verbally speaking these words this is a good thing. This fever means your body's healing. This fever is your body doing the right thing at the right time. This doesn't feel good, but this is healing you. And I think when we can start speaking those words out loud over our children to our spouse, it will help with that first you know, common mistake that we see with parents when it comes to fever and the way that they think about it. So number two that we want to debunk on the, or these common thoughts when it comes to a fever is that we need to reduce the fever to keep the child comfortable. That's the right thing to do is we should drop that fever so our child can be more comfortable. Dr. Natalie, you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, it's um, as you guys are talking about that, it, it reminded me, I'm just thinking back, like when was the first time that our first child had a fever? And um, you know, the, for my first experience with it was, you know, when she was about six months. And um, this is why I want to speak to this because we all have likely gone through this or will notice this. Um, you know, it can be common. Some babies don't notice, like don't have it at all, but some do. And like right before teething, like right before her first tooth erupted, like it's not a high, just like a low grade fever. And I remember, you know, it was a couple days that it was like, okay, she just feels a little warmer than normal and, you know, no other symptoms and, um, you know, up a lot at night. And I remember having those thoughts of like, all right, like she's fighting something off and whatnot. And then, you know, a couple of days later, the first tooth erupted. And I have a lot of patients that do it like, yeah, they just are off, you know, and that's normal. Like their body, you know, their body is changing. Things are, are happening. Um, so I, again, it's like, as soon as that tooth popped through, I was like, oh, that's what she was, you know, that's what she was dealing with. And so, you know, getting, speaking to the point, I just wanted to mention that because I know that happens, you know, every, every child has teeth come in and sometimes um, as their body is going through that, their temperature can be elevated just a little bit. So, um, you know, knowing that time frame, like, hey, they might have teeth just around the corner that are that are popping through. And that can be something that's leading to it. Hey, Dr. Natalie, I'll let you come back to finish this. But I do want to, I once read, I forget where the article came from. But when I read why that happened, it was such a light bulb moment for me, because we've all had that that experience, a fever right around teething time. And I read somewhere, I have to look it back up, at, you know, so I can be more articulate on it, but that the body knows that we're about to break the surface of the skin and have a, like an open wound. So there is a potential for a virus or bacteria to get in there. And it's wow. in an area that's real close to so the good. body will proactively increase temperature so that should there be a viral or bacterial invasion when that tooth is popping through and when there's an open wound that they're preemptively that the body is preemptively ready for it how cool that's is amazing that? that's amazing trust, i like, love that trust our bodies so so much again that's totally just speaks to that point of how many parents you know when it's gone on for three days of a little bit of a fever 
then, you know, end up doing something right. And then that offsets that immune response and that immune preparation, you know, for that open wound type of a, a issue to happen. So that's, that's so amazing. So, you know, again, as, as Dr. Aaron said earlier, we have this want to like keep our, our kids happy and, um, you know, feeling well. So that's probably as a parent, one of the hardest things is, is seeing your child with a fever, especially if they are lethargic and, you know, like low energy and sleeping a lot, you know, for, for younger, for babies, you know, in that first year, skin to skin is just so important. You know, it's, it's, just keeping them comfortable and being that support for them. So, you know, that means, you know, for us, it meant, okay, I'm sleeping in the recliner tonight and I'm going to hold this baby to make sure that they get the the most amount of rest possible because we know that's what's good for their body and tons of breast milk, you know, through that first, you know, two years, uh, like you said earlier, just keeping them hydrated. I remember, you know, as you get into the toddler and more, you know, older children. I remember myself, it was like, I would get, you know, when I wasn't feeling well and I have a fever, it's okay, here, have some Sprite, right? Like here, have some Gatorade, keep your electrolytes up. And now we know like, wait, that is directly, again, another way of interfering with your body, fighting that off, like the added sugar that fuels viruses and bacteria causes inflammation, which actually interferes with your immune system function. So those are things that we definitely want to avoid, but we do want to make sure our kids are hydrated. So during that time, I will, you know, if a child, you know, toddler is, is fighting off and, and, you know, working with a fever, you know, coconut water can be really great that has some natural electrolytes and making sure that they're staying hydrated. And like you said earlier, making sure that they are um, going to the bathroom often, because that is something that we want to really support their system throughout this. I know uh, one of you guys talked about baths. Talk to me about, about that. Yeah, so I think we all probably have a huge arsenal of things that we can do naturally to help our children be comfortable. And I like I totally want to go there and make sure we hit the last thing that we want to debunk, though. And then we'll go through. Dr. Nelly just gets excited and she just jumps right ahead through this whole thing. Um, <laughs> we're unscripted, as you can tell. Um, but on that, on the point of wanting to keep our children comfortable, I think we have to keep the long term picture in mind that yes, it might feel good to even do something naturally to try to reduce the fever. But that fever, the more we can let it run its course, the faster that child will heal and it, it won't rebound. So really doing patchwork things to try to artificially lower fever before the body's ready for it can ultimately lead to your child being more uncomfortable for a longer period of time. So I do want to, before we get into how we personally deal with fevers and some more personal experiences and tips and tricks that we have, I do want to hear your guys' thoughts on febrile seizures. And when you have a patient that comes to you and that is a concern, and I do think when you hit that 102, 103 range, for whatever reason, even though like most research says that febrile seizures even happen at more lower temperatures than higher temperatures, but it's a myth that's out there. And I would love to hear how you guys give reassurance to your patients um, and to yourselves when it comes to this concept of, oh, we need to reduce the fever so we reduce risk of a seizure. So I go straight to the Mayo Clinic website, and this is what I will share with our patients. And this is something that I do go back to for my own mindset, but this is what they say. Most febrile seizures produce no lasting effects. Simple febrile seizures do not cause brain damage, intellectual disability, or learning disabilities, and they don't mean your child has a more serious underlying disorder. Febrile seizures are provoked seizures and don't indicate epilepsy. 
epilepsy is a condition characterized by recurrent, unprovoked seizures caused by abnormal electrical signals in the brain. So straight, I literally just read that straight off the Mayo Clinic website about febrile seizures. And so once I have that basic, you know, medical information, you know, this is straight from, you know, you can go straight to their website and get that too. Um, now I can kind of work backwards and say, okay, so why would the body do that? If it's not something that's going to cause any long-term damage, um, then am I really fearful of that? And why would the body want to do that in the first place? And in most situations, it's really just to break that fever, give the body a chance to rest and recover. You know, I kind of, I've used this analogy too, looking at this, because I did have a patient that um, went through this with their child. The child was totally fine. But, you know, you look at a woman's body when they're in labor and the body is this amazing, it has this amazing ability to do what it's supposed to do without outside intervention. And we have these contractions and they're really, you know, can be, you know, very intense um, and they're doing something good. And then we have a break and we allow the body to like get back to baseline before the next contraction comes. And so I look back at that compared to a febrile seizure where it's like, okay, the body is ramping up temperature. It's really trying to keep this infection at bay. Um, but there, there's a point where the body says, you know what, we're going to bring this fever down um, to prevent, you know, damage in the body. And that's brilliant. And so there will be this febrile seizure and that typically will break the fever and the, the temperature will come down and the body, you know, continues to do what it's supposed to do. And so sharing that with, with parents, I feel like giving them this information from the Mayo Clinic, like, hey, this is, this is what they say. This is what they found studying febrile seizures. This is really not necessarily something to fear in most situations. And that has really helped people. And I think admittedly, if you've never seen someone with a seizure, let alone someone that you love have a seizure, it is, it's a very scary and intimidating thing to experience. And I've dealt with lots of patients and, and a close friend who has had seizures and it is very scary to witness, but having the reassurance that it's scary in the moment, but it, you know, vast majority of the time it does end. And I do think when it's related to this concept of being attached to a fever, we really need to work hard to understand that these are not, you know, typically these are not, uh, I mean, the Mayo Clinic, it says it itself. So I don't need to reiterate that, but I do want to acknowledge that it is scary, but really looking at the data, it's not connected to how high the fever gets. Oftentimes I see it connected more to interference with the fever. And then the, do, the one thing that I do want to touch on to make sure that we're thorough on this is that oftentimes we see these febrile seizures in that first year of life, and it's very closely connected to when a child had, had been vaccinated. And I really want to make sure that as a parent, if you have a child that has experienced what you thought was a febrile seizure, it may have actually been an adverse reaction to a vaccine that then triggered a, fe a fever and then they had a seizure and the seizure was not due to the fever, it was due to the vaccine. And that may be something that you really need to look back and analyze. When I look back, um, I remember babysitting once when I was young, young, like you know, a 12 year old babysitting and this little six month old had a seizure. And when we went back and really broke it down, we thought it was a fever at the time and turns out he had been vaccinated within two days of that. And now knowing what we know and reading what vaccines he had and reading side effects of those vaccines, it was actually had nothing to do with the fever. The vaccine triggered an immune response, which triggered a fever and that and, and a seizure. And the two, it wasn't a febrile seizure. This was a vaccine injury. Um, 
medical doctors may be prone to brush it off as a febrile seizure when in fact it was a vaccine injury. So I do want to just make sure if you have a friend or if you have experienced this, that you are really closely analyzing this and digging in to figure out if my child, especially in that first year, because um, if you are if you are choosing to vaccinate your children, obviously the three of us are not, um, and many people listening are not, but if you are choosing to vaccinate your children, and they have had a seizure, you might really want to go back and look at, okay, was it fever related? Was it infection related? Or was this something that was a complication from a vaccine? And that may shift your decision, um, your decision making moving forward. So I'll, we'll, I'll come off that tangent because we could spend all day there. So let's talk about some experiences that we have had with fevers and ways that we deal with it. And I'll just, I'll start it off first. When my child, um, when my children have had a fever and they're just like at that point where it's like, they just need rest and they're too uncomfortable and they're not like mature enough to understand, like just lay down and sleep. All they can do is whine and keep moving and doing all the wrong things um, for me or if, or if it's getting to the evening and I just really need them to be able to fall asleep at night so their body can have a chance to heal. For me, my secret weapon is an ap apple cider vinegar bath. It does nothing to affect their temperature. So their temperature will still do what it needs to do. But for whatever reason, apple cider vinegar, I think just like breast milk can cure everything. So I put a cup of apple cider vinegar in a lukewarm tub. I make sure that I heat up the bathroom ahead of time. So I'm not like shocking their system from hot to cold. The water's not too hot and the room is not too cold. So a nice lukewarm bathtub with a cup or two of apple cider vinegar in it. And I'll just let them lay there and rest and relax. And for me, that's been my miracle thing. I'll pull them out of the tub, wrap them up in a nice warm towel, throw on their jammies and lay down with them and kind of lay next to them. And usually that gets them at least a couple hours of comfortable sleep before they kind of wake back up groggy again. So let's hear from you guys. What are some of your tips and tricks for fevers? Yeah, that's super good. I shared a little bit earlier just for those, you know, the the babies, you know, just again, um, skin to skin. And, you know, you might lose some sleep yourself. But I think as parents, whatever age your child is, is really looking at it. How can I help them? rest, relax, be comfortable and just support them through this. You know, so our age kids now it's, you know, if someone's down and out and sick to try and promote the let's let your body rest, let's let, let your body heal. We'll go on a movie marathon. You know, that's the time that they can um, lay on the couch and watch whatever movies that they want um, to be able to relax. I also, you know, nutritionally, you know, again, if the, if it's a baby, it's making sure they're getting, you know, still really getting hydrated and breast milk and all that coconut water for the older children. Uh, but I really like to get them more on like a liquid diet to try and allow, like take energy away from digesting food so that their body has all the energy to fight this thing off. So we'll, you know, then have, you know, special, like I'll make green juice. So there's lots of vitamins, minerals, enzymes in there that, you know, helps the body doesn't have to digest it. It just automatically absorbs those nutrients. Also, you know, or smoothies is another great idea to um, give them something to drink while they're laying on the couch that gives them solid nutrition. You know, in these moments, um, we'll add some vitamin C in there. We'll add some magnesium in there and just really making sure their body has everything that it needs to, you know, function and, and fight this thing off at its best. That's really good. We do all those things. Um, I have also, if I feel like they're taking a while to get over whatever it is that they're fighting, um, we, we have an infrared sauna and we'll put them in there. We'll keep it, you know, like 102 degrees, which is a really dry heat. Um, and obviously they're, it's okay to do that for short 
you know, short amounts of time as long as they're comfortable and staying hydrated. But that's something that has worked well for us. It just really helps with that self-regulation, um, making sure that their body's, you know, appropriately responding to the infection. How and, um, go ahead. I just want to make sure that we say, because we're all skip the thing that we just do innately that we do the second that they start to like, even like look at us unwell. The first thing all three of us do is we lay our kids down and get them adjusted immediately, which I guess is the perk of having a mom who's a chiropractor. Um, but I will tell you that I don't know a chiropractor that's unwilling to meet a parent in the middle of the night with a, with a child with a fever when, when it's that moment. I'll, I remember being on a date night when I first opened our practice and I give, you know, most of our patients have, especially if they have children, they have my cell phone number. Cause like they just, they need a resource. Um, and going, we're about to walk into a movie and a patient texts and a great patient. She's just kind of gathering this lifestyle, wrapping her head around it. She's like, it's gone. You know, we've been monitoring all day. She's like, it's hundred degrees and it's 102 degrees. He been in to be adjusted and it hit 104. And she was like, I think I might be at my breaking point. Like, I think we might need to take him in. And I said, you totally can on your way, just stop by the office. It's on the way. I'm across the street about to walk into a movie with my husband, but we can get rid of those tickets and I'll meet you at the office and let's get him adjusted one more time as you take him in. Like I'm, I'm honoring what she wants to do and where she feels she's at with it and lay him down, adjust him within five minutes, fever breaks and he's good to go. Um, but that's really, that really is the first thing that I lean to and go towards when possible. If I'm if I'm physically around or if I'm not, if I can get my child to a chiropractor, that's the first thing that we do to remove interference and allow, reset their body's nervous system. I mean, the fever pathway is, you know, it's regulated to the hypothalamus through the central nervous system. So let's make sure there's no interference there first, then we can go to these other measures. Exactly. And just to speak to that too, um, like that is by far the most, you know, like the top priority, the first thing that I'd recommend to anybody, you know, to do. So for any of you listeners, if you don't have a chiropractor, if you haven't taken your kids to, to a chiropractor, you know, just the, the reasoning behind that is as Sarah's saying, you know, your brain controls every function in your body. And if there's anything interfering with your brain to get back and forth, and there's anything interfering with that communication that can affect your body's ability to self-regulate at its best, you know, so this is the time, you know, of course, all of the time, but especially if your child is dealing with this is to make sure that there's nothing interfering with that self-regulation and allow their body to be in complete homeostasis, like it's designed to, so it can carry out its natural, you know, normal function. So I will, I really want to share this story with, um, one of my kids and hopefully this will just, you know, give some perspective to parents. Um, there is a point when even we, as these naturally minded practitioners, um, we get to with our kids where it's like, okay, is this an emergency or is it not? And I got to that point with Nevi, um, when she was four, almost five and we had been vacationing in Hawaii. She came down with an ear infection um, and she really was just uncomfortable, but it wasn't anything that I was super worried about. But she started to develop this like swelling on her face um, just above her ear. And I thought it was odd. I had never seen it before. We took her actually even into urgent care on the island that we were staying. And the just because I was worried about flying if there was like something major going on and the urgent care doctor looked at her and said you know what I think she's fine you're good to go so we got on the plane the next day got home 
And within three days, her fever still had not broken and it was actually getting higher. And there was a swelling um, that the swelling was getting worse. It was getting bigger. And so we started in the middle of the night, we started texting um, a local pediatrician that we know. And we said, listen, this we're concerned. This isn't getting better. We've never seen this before. And they said, bring her in first thing in the morning. Um, and the reason why, you know, I would say we decided it was an emergency and we wanted to consult somebody is because she stopped really responding to us. She wasn't really making sense um, in the way she was communicating. And that's when I knew something was wrong. I knew that, you know, my child was really, you know, struggling. And you probably can hear my baby in the background. Layla's here with us today on this show. Welcome, Layla. Um, so we took her in and they they said, you know what, she's got mastoiditis, the ear infection like could be eating through her bone. And so we're, we need to, we need to go in there and see what's going on. So this all happened so fast. I was just in tears. I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't believe this was happening to me, to my child who's never had a medication. Um, and it was just like a perfect storm that had happened to her. We were vacationing. She got you know, this ear infection. And um, because we were, you know, we were off, the time change was there. She wasn't resting nearly enough. We probably weren't hydrating her enough. It was the heat. It was just all these things that compounded to create this perfect storm for her body to be struggling to fight this infection. Um, so I like to share this story. She ended up being fine. The, um, the surgeon went in, he was an ENT that we knew in town. He went in and said, oh my gosh, I've never seen this before. I was expecting to see like erosion in the bone, but actually her body had like totally sequestered the infection and created this thick lining around it. So all they had to do was drain it. He's like, in my 40 years of practice, I've never seen the body respond like this. And it was really, really encouraging to see what her body did um, to really protect her, her skull and her brain. And so I just, you know, I attribute that to everything we had done right leading up to that point of, you know, supporting her body, giving it nutrients, adjusting her um, so that it knew how to respond to this potentially, you know, really dangerous infection. So um, hopefully that gives you some encouragement. There is a point that we get to where we're like, okay, what should we do? Should we take them in? And I definitely have been there. So, well, and I think that sometimes, especially when you're first stepping into this world, you would maybe have the tendency to listen to an episode like this and think, well, that's all well and good for you guys because you had your babies at home and you are all chiropractors and your kids have never had medications but I'm like trying to make this transition and fevers, like I don't have the faith that you have in the body. I don't have faith in all that I've done up to this point. So I don't know that my, you know, my child could survive this. And I think what I really want to give you encouragement with, if you're potentially in that position, is that the faith that Dr. Aaron had and her line of, okay, we need intervention was maybe way down the field from where your line is of feeling like, hey, I've hit that point and I need intervention. But it also speaks to how important it is to have a, a healthcare provider on your team that is going to be, um, you know, a, 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 a gauge for you on, hey, yep, I, I agree with your philosophy. I believe in what you're doing. I, um, I support you and wanting to support their body to naturally heal. And it's a yes or no. And, and someone that can help you kind of guide you through those decisions as your faith continues to grow. And it really is true. The first time fever comes, even as a holistic minded first time parent, it is scary. But then the second time it comes around, now I'm to the point where if a kid gets a fever, 
I'm a little bit like, yay, I get some extra snuggle time. Like there's this weird psycho part of me that's like, oh, I get like my three-year-old will at least lay on my lap for the next day or two and I'll get like some snuggles that I don't get anymore knowing I'm on my last kid. So I just think that um, I just want to encourage all of you that it is a journey and it does take a process to get to the level of faith that we have, but you can trust your instincts as a mom and you can really trust um, providers around you and a community around you that has the same philosophies and the same principles that you have. But really, when it comes to this idea of fever, as a closing point, majority of the time, it's perfectly safe, perfectly normal. And in fact, it's something that we should be praising the body for doing because it's a natural response for the body to heal. So we hope that you enjoyed this episode on fevers today, and we will catch up with all of you soon. Thanks for joining us today on the Mom Docs podcast. If you enjoyed listening to the show, the greatest compliment you can give is to share this with others and leave us a review on iTunes. By subscribing to our podcast, you'll never miss an episode. We'll see you next time.